Today on Locked on Ducks Hockey, the Ducks gained three points over the weekend and a close look at collegiate prospects, both on the world stage and the SoCal stage. All of this on today's Locked on Ducks, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Good morning and good Monday to everyone. You're locked in with Jason J.D. Hernandez as we talk about the Ducks' two games over the weekend, and we talk about some college prospects. Yes, the World Junior Championships are still going on, and the Ducks' main prospect for that tournament is turning a lot of heads. And we'll also look at some college prospects that just played in Anaheim. Yeah, we're going to talk about the SoCal Clash. But before we get into all that, you can hear this podcast or any of the shows on the Locked On Podcast Network via Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, Spotify, or Stitcher. And Alexa still thinks we're about college football, so ask Siri, hey Siri, play the Locked On Ducks podcast, or say, hey Siri, play Locked On Ducks. And hope that works, and if it does, let me know. Or try looking manually on Apple or Google Podcast. And be sure to subscribe if you haven't already. Also, follow on Twitter at LO underscore Ducks, or follow me personally at StimpyJD. Now, let's go over to Friday's game against the Vegas Golden Knights at the Ponda. The Ducks had a short homestand, and Friday's game was a bit of an interesting one, as Vegas came in, I guess, in first place in the Pacific. We'll say, for the sake of argument, they're first place. The Ducks beat the first place team. Oh, wait, spoilers. I'm sure you guys already knew that. Yeah, the Ducks came in Friday, and they were ready to go. So was Vegas. In fact, both teams really came out swinging on the first puck drop as the hitting began early. Not many shots. I think both teams were more focused on getting under each other's skin. And part of that happened, you know, pretty early in the game. In fact, in the first period, the Ducks had a couple of chances where they were really close to to the net. But, you know, leave it up to Sam Carrick to be that pest right by Malcolm Subban, who was starting for the Golden Knights. At one point in the first period, Carrick, I I think accidentally, knocked off Malcolm Subban's mask. And Malcolm wasn't having any of that crap. So, you know, he took a little swing there. Carrick didn't like it. Already, you know, we saw a little bit of nastiness early on. I liked it. Let's get under their skin. That's what most of these players are saying. The players are saying, let's see what we can do. And early on, there was no penalties called, but you could tell that it was feisty early on. In fact, really not many shots early on. It was 8-4 to four in favor of the Vegas Golden Knights. Not much to talk about there. Then we go into the second period, and things really got out of control a little bit. First off, Vegas came out shooting. At one point, they were ahead on shots 12-5. to five. And early on in the second period, with about uh, 15 minutes left, about five minutes into the second period, the Vegas Golden Knights, they had a couple of loose pucks go their way. Riley Smith kind of chipped the puck ahead and got it to Wild Bill, sorry, Will Carlson. And he chipped it off to the center of neutral ice to Jonathan Marchessault, or the Corsi King. And Marchessault connected brilliantly. He had a great shot just past the shoulder of John Gibson, and it went off the bar under the other crossbar. It was a bar down shot, pretty much. That is very difficult to stop. Gibson couldn't stop it. It was one nothing Vegas early on. 
And I feel like there was a couple penalties where things really changed. First, there was a penalty from Vegas. Nate Schmidt tripped Adam Henrique. But the big one, and I think this was the turnaround of the game, was Thomas Nocek had a double minor high stick against Ryan Getzloff. And Getzloff went down in a heap. He went down right away, grabbing his face, went straight to the locker room. You already saw on the broadcast that there was some drops of blood already on the ice. So you knew it was bad. So right away, ref saw it, caught it, four-minute penalty. The Ducks called a timeout, and this was great on Dallas Eakins to call that timeout right there for two reasons. One, to kind of calm his troops down because they just lost their captain. Ryan Getzloff has been pretty good on the power play recently, and he's been part of the success over the past maybe two and a half weeks as to why the Ducks have been doing better on the power play. So the Ducks had to regain themselves. And two... They had a 5-on-3 for about a minute and change. So this was a perfect opportunity for the Ducks to take advantage and work out a couple of plays and work out they did into the 5-on-3. Not long into it. Maybe I would say 40 seconds into the 5-on-3. We had some great cross-ice passing back and forth. It went from one side to the other. Cam Fowler had it on the left side, got it towards the middle, towards Silverberg. And Silverberg on the right side didn't take too long and got a one-time pass right to Autumn Henrique, who one-timed it to the goal to tie the game at one. And that's something the Ducks need to do on the power play, is be able to get those one-timers off, especially on the man advantage, and especially the two-man advantage. When you have an empty net like that, you've got to take those one-timers. Something the Ducks did early on this season is they would take their sweet time, the power play would remain stagnant, and teams would catch up. That's not happening anymore. And then, because it was a double minor, the Ducks still had about three minutes worth of power play time. And just as the first of that one expired, with about a minute and 50 left in the second power play... Cam Fowler got in the act. Yeah, the assists go to Devin Shore. And Sam Steele, I thought, was great here. Cam Fowler, you know, he kind of got in there right in the middle. And it was kind of a floating shot that deflected off of not one, but two Vegas Golden Knights defenders. And it just kind of floated just above Malcolm Subban's shoulders to make it 2-1 to Anaheim. But the Ducks were not done yet because only 14 seconds later, Max Comtois tipped in a hard shot from uh, Jacob Larson. Larson shot it from the blue line, and Max Comtois just got the tip in to make it 3-1 to one Anaheim. They scored those three goals in a minute and 37 seconds. So right away, bam, bam, bam. They came in a hurry. They came fast, and Vegas didn't know what hit them, to be honest. All of a sudden, they're going from up one nothing to down 3 to 1 in a matter of 2 minutes and it was really because of that big power that big penalty that took place and that big ensuing power play the ducks officially went 2 for 3 on the power play there but i mean you know what i think i think it was a 2 for 2 there because that was just an extended power play that's what i call that so yeah, Ducks had some great success on the power play in that second period. Shots were nine apiece in that second. We go to the third period, and Devin Shore had the presence of mind to get a loose puck and see that Malcolm Subban had the five hole open, and Devin 
Devin Shore. By the way, great name, Devin. Love it. He scores his second of the season to make it 4-1 Anaheim. And it would stay that way until late in the contest when Nate Schmidt scored one from the point on a pass from Matt Stone to make it 4-2 Vegas. That was with about a minute and 50-something seconds left. And Vegas would just keep pounding the net. Malcolm Subban left his net. And all of a sudden, you see shot after shot after shot. Vegas kept shooting at John Gibson, but he turned away everything. That is until about five and a half seconds left, where Nate Schmidt would score his second goal in two minutes to make it 4-3 Anaheim. Assists on that one go to Max Pacioretty and Stone. Yeah, Matt Stone. or sorry, Mark Stone. He got two assists on both those Nate Schmidt goals to make it 4-3, but there was only five seconds left. As soon as the faceoff went, it went to the Anaheim zone. Or sorry, Anaheim offensive zone. No chance for Vegas to come back. That last goal makes the score seem closer than it actually is. On the scoreboard, it was 4-3, to three, but that third goal came so late, it didn't really matter much. It wasn't really that close. So Vegas pulls through with the victory on that one, and some quick stats on that one. Vegas outshot the Ducks 29-18. to 18. Gibson did a tremendous job just keeping the Ducks in it, and in it they did. As far as face-off, Anaheim won 61% of their face-offs. Vegas only won less than 40%. And even though the Elite 1C is out, you still had some great face-offs from players like Carter Rowney, who did pretty well. Adam Henrique did well in the face-off dot. Sam Carrick, what an addition he's been from the San Diego goals. He's always been a great face-off player in San Diego, and that is fortunately resulting in you know, good face-off wins for Sam Carrick, and same for Max Jones. Both those guys have been a great addition to the Ducks. Even though Max Jones is technically a prospect, he's done pretty well in Anaheim so far. And we'll move quickly to last night's game at the Ponza, where they played the Philadelphia Flyers. This would be the second of two meetings for Philly. And what I was really sad about no David Kasha. Kasha is now up with Lehigh Valley, or sorry, down with Lehigh Valley, which just makes me really sad. So no brother-on-brother brother action on this one. And just to go over that game really quickly, Eric Goodbranson scored from the point only 35 seconds into the game. Really? 35 seconds? That's it? Yeah. Ducks were immediately up one nothing on that one. And that was kind of a weird way to start that game. <laughs> no, you didn't expect David Goodbranson to start like that. I know no one in the crowd did. I mean, the Flyers didn't see it coming either. And there was just some great screening on that goal. That's what it was. And then not long after that, Sean Couturier, he scored his 10th of the season to make it 1-1 tie game. It would stay that way for most of the game. Yeah, it would stay that way after the first period. The Ducks and Flyers, they were pretty even on shots. Philly had nine shots. Anaheim had eight. Second period, it was pretty much all Philly. Philly was relentless towards the net. They outshot Anaheim 14-5 in that second period to make it 23-13 after two periods. Third period, Ducks started to gain some momentum towards the end of regulation. They started gaining puck control. Philadelphia had most of the puck control the start of the third period, and then after that, it was all Anaheim. They looked like they were gaining momentum. They had a couple of shots ring off the post, 
that could have gone their way. It just did not. Anaheim also had a couple of power plays. They had plenty of power play shots, and one of those came within inches of going in. So Anaheim, they had their chances and just could not get it in. A little bit of bad puck luck there. So it went to overtime. And in that overtime period, Anaheim still had their chances. They had a couple of great shots, but on a bad change, Voracek would get the assist to Kevin Hayes, his 12th of the season, to make it a 2-1 to victory for Philly. But the Ducks pick up a standings point, so they get three points on the weekend against two tough opponents. And after the first intermission, we're going to go straight to the World Junior Championships in the Czech Republic and check in with the Ducks' number one prospect. Stay locked in. Welcome back to Locked On Ducks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. You're locked in with Jason J.D. Hernandez. And something I want to point out that I didn't mention on the last segment, the Ducks have improved on their power play tremendously. At one point in the season, they were at about 8 or 9% power plays. They've jumped up to 14.8% on the power play, and they are no longer second to last or 30th place. They are currently 27th in the NHL as far as power play percentage goes, but they are not far behind from Chicago. They're only three-tenths of a point above them. So the Ducks are starting to show some signs of improvement. They're not as bad as Ottawa anymore. They're not as bad as the LA Kings. The Kings in Ottawa are by far the two worst power play teams in the National Hockey League. I think Anaheim has recovered enough. They're not going to get to those levels. In fact, it's probably (laughs) depending on how you look for it. If you're team tank, you hate this because this is preventing the Ducks from getting those elusive ping pong balls for the number one overall pick. If you think this Ducks team can go somewhere and make the playoffs, yeah, that's awesome. Great. (laughs) I'm just stating the facts here. The Ducks' power play is getting better. They're taking more one-timers. It's not stagnant anymore. Good for the Ducks. I'm just going to say that. So we have a lot to talk about as far as prospects go, and we're going to start with the WJCs. No games for the U.S. on Saturday. In fact, nothing really to cover on Saturday. Sunday was a full slate of hockey, and speaking for me personally, it was a lot to cover on Sunday because it was the WJC in the morning. And then make the drive out to Irvine to check out the SoCal Clash. I'll talk about that later. And then there was a Ducks game. So yeah, it was a pretty busy day. We'll start with the WJCs and the breakout star, Trevor Zegras. He's been amazing. In two games, he had already scored five points. All assists. So how would Team USA do against Team Russia? Keep in mind... This was a Russia team that the previous day completely demolished Team Canada 6-0. That was the big story on Saturday. Russia beat Canada 6-0. Not only that, but Alex Lafreniere, who is the consensus number one pick in the 2020 NHL entry draft, he got injured. He injured his knee. It came out not long ago. 
that the knee injury is not as serious as once thought, and he might even come back in the later rounds if Team Canada is still playing. That's not guaranteed, because with the 6-0 loss, Canada is at the bottom of the standings. With that goal differential, that could be a difference. So, going into Sunday morning's game, or actually Sunday afternoon's game, USA was looking to, I guess, avenge some sort of revenge, for whatever it's worth. It is USA-Russia, after all. So, starting off the game, both teams taking their fair amount of shots, but nothing scratched across the board for either team. In that first period, shots on goal were as follows. It was... 10-8 in favor of the Americans. You know, they were getting their shots in. Zegris was starting to set up some of his players. Zegris was on a line, by the way, with Jack Drury and Arthur Kaliev, who is an LA Kings prospect. But nothing scratched across on that first period. So we go to the second period. And, you know, there was a pretty bad penalty at the end of the second where Daniel Misiel... He had a pretty bad check to the head of Maxim Groshev. It looked, sorry, it was served by Groshev. It was just a bad, bad hit by Missile there. So, you know, that caused a power play for the U.S. They didn't score on that. But much later in that second period, with about 320 left, guess what? It was the Trevor Zegras show once again. Yeah. He, he received a pass from Cole Caulfield, and we talked about this on Friday's show, myself and Rachel Donner. We talked about the fact that Cole Caulfield is that kind of player that should be on the same line as Trevor Zegras. And hey, look what happened. Caulfield passed it to Trevor Zegras. He got a perfect cross-ice pass to Arthur Kaliev, who one-timed it to make it one nothing USA. That was a perfect pass from Zegris. And then later on, only six seconds later, just as I'm typing in that the that the USA had scored a goal, another goal scored right after that. Six seconds apart. I kid you not. That became 2-0 United States. You know, it was a masterful pass, but then it was another one. And all of a sudden, Team USA had a 2-0 lead over the mighty Russians, and that's how the second period would end. It was 2 nothing Team USA. You know, shots on goal for that one. That favored Russia. Russia outshot them 9-7, so at that point, it was 17 shots on goal apiece on each side. Going into the third period, you know, Kaliev, he did it again. And guess what? Trevor Zegras, he got another assist. Another great pass to Arthur Kaliev, the Kings prospect, to make it 3 nothing Team USA. Only two minutes later, Russia would score to make it 3-1, to one, but that's how the game would end. 3-1, to one, Team USA. They get their second win on this WJC. You know, this one, they beat Russia. They previously beat Germany, but lost to Canada. So now, Team USA is 2-1, and one. They have one more game, and that takes place later this morning against the host country, the Czech Republic. With a victory, Team USA guarantees itself a top two spot in their group. Although with two wins, 
I would be I would say it's safe to say Team USA should advance anyway based on goal differential. So in my perspective, Team USA is safe. We're going to see them play after New Year's Eve. We're probably going to see them play on Thursday and Friday at least. That's just my opinion. They're looking really good. Trevor Zegers, let's talk about him for a couple minutes, all right? Trevor Zegers, he started off the tournament, remember, the first game, he only had five and a half minutes time on ice. Those first two periods, he ended up with just about 10 minutes time on ice on that first game. The second game, he picked it up a little bit. That's when the four assist outburst happened. And at the end of that second game, he was starting to see more shifts and starting to see more time on ice. This game, yeah, Scott Sandlin knew what the crap he was doing there. He started Zegers on a line with Jack Drury and Arthur Kaliev, and that paid massive dividends. Drury got an assist. Kaliev got two goals on the two assists from Zegers. And that brings Trevor's totals in three games. He's got seven points. Not just seven points. Seven assists and seven fantastic assists. Great looking. Now, here's the thing you have to remember. These are not just assists. These are primary assists. On each of those seven goals, he has been the primary assist, not the secondary assist on all of those. I think that is very important to point out. Trevor Zegers is an elite playmaker. So far, he's been the best playmaker in this entire tournament. And this is someone that we didn't expect to come out like this. You know, we were hoping that Zegers would get a couple of points here and there because he was on the fourth line starting off. In fact, he was expected to have the least amount of ice time at the start of the tournament. All of a sudden, he's become this breakout star. And this should excite some Ducks fans here. And already, I'm hearing questions about, okay, how is Zegers going to fit into the Anaheim Ducks? Slow down. Hold your roll. It is three games. He's a kid. He's still in college. He's more worried about the Boston University Terriers. Actually, no. He's more worried about Team USA right now. The main focus isn't on the Ducks. Yes, it is great reason to be excited. But hold your horses. He's still got at least a year before he comes probably to San Diego slash Anaheim, most likely the Anaheim Ducks. But he's more worried about this tournament. He wants to help Team USA get the gold, something that has eluded Team USA time and time again on this tournament. Yes, USA has had success on the WJCs. He wants that to continue for Team USA. He wants that gold medal. I guarantee it. So before trying to put any more pressure on the kid, let him play. Let it play out and see what happens. But you should be excited because seven primary assists and their great assists, their great setups to a Kings prospect, it is a big deal. But I'm I'm not going to oversell it, but I'm not going to undersell it either. He's doing great. I can't wait to see how he does against the Czech Republic, and I cannot wait to see how he does in the quarterfinals, which will take place on Thursday. And we don't know who they're going to play because there's still a bunch more games left to be played on Monday and Tuesday. Team USA's final game is on Monday, but there's plenty of games on Tuesday that could skew the results of who they play. 
a couple of big games to check out for Monday. Monday morning, 10 a.m., it is USA versus Czech Republic. 6 a.m., Germany versus Canada. Tuesday has a couple of big games. Russia versus Germany. And one that I think is going to be very important. New Year's Eve, 10 a.m., Canada versus the Czech Republic. That could have some major ripple effects as to who's in and who was out in Group B. So check that out. And as we head into the second intermission, we're going to talk about the SoCal Clash, which took place in Irvine, California, over the weekend. Stay locked in. Welcome back to Locked on Ducks. You're locked in with Jason J.D. Hernandez. I don't know if you could tell, but my voice is starting to go a little bit. So I'm going to keep this last segment short. And I'm going to talk briefly about the SoCal Clash, which took place at Great Park Ice in Irvine, California. It was specifically Five Point Arena, which is rink four at that venue, between the Harvard Crimson and the Arizona State Sun Devils. This is the first time in a long time that we had Division I hockey in Southern California, and I'll have more to talk about that on tomorrow's podcast. But just to briefly go over who we saw, the Ducks had two prospects on the ice there. Both Ducks prospects, they looked pretty good at at times. They are Henry Thrun and Jack Badini. Henry Thrun is a freshman from Harvard University. He's 18 years old. He's the fourth round pick from the Ducks for 2019. So he was drafted this past year. And Jack Badini, he was part of the 2017 NHL draft, a third round pick, and he's currently playing in Harvard. He's on his third year at Harvard University. 21-year-old, they both looked really good. One of them looked a bit more polished than the other. And for me personally, it was great to see some D1 hockey back in SoCal. And it was great to finally see some D1 hockey again. I've seen some Division I, you know, out in New England. I've seen Harvard play. I've seen Vermont play. I've seen BC play. You know, I've, I've seen a lot of great college hockey. I miss it. I love it. So to see these two teams play, you know, Arizona State, that's a team that came from practically nothing And in three years, they made the NCAA tournament. Who knows if we could see Arizona State in the tournament again this year. As far as the game itself, it was a 5-4 victory for the Harvard Crimson in double overtime. Uh, Casey Casey Dornbach got the game-winning goal, and it was a very thrilling game. You know, both sides really gave it everything they had. You know, and the way NCAA hockey works, you have your three periods. If it's tied, it's five on five for five minutes. That's the first overtime. If it's still tied, it goes into three on three sudden death hockey for the second overtime. And then it goes to a shootout, which is something that I like seeing in NCAA. We don't get to see many double overtimes very often. But when it happens, it is some of the best hockey you'll see as far as speed goes. As far as the two prospects, they're both still raw. They are both still kids. And just to talk briefly about Henry Thrun, you know, he had a couple of 
miscommunications there as far as defense goes. And there was a big breakdown that happens to allow the Arizona State University to score their second goal. Just a bad breakdown for both Thrun and Badini. But they came right back. You know, Henry Thrun, you know, he got a secondary assist on a goal on some great just hustle work. And Jack Badini, he had his shots. He had four shots on goal. And he really utilized his speed to his advantage and nearly cashed in a couple of times on the Arizona netminder, but that didn't work out. And I'll talk more about that game tomorrow. And just to tell you what's going on with tomorrow's podcast, it is New Year's Eve tomorrow. So not only will I talk about you know that game, I'll also talk about WJCs. I'll talk about the Monday game that takes place which USA will be playing against, once again, the Czech Republic. So I'll talk about that. I'll talk a little bit more about this weekend in Irvine. But the big part of tomorrow's podcast, it is the last Locked on Ducks for 2019. It's the last one of the decade. So what I have planned for tomorrow is I will reveal my all-decade team for the Anaheim Ducks. Yep, that's right. That is coming tomorrow and there will be no show on wednesday so once again no show on wednesday tomorrow we're going to reveal the all decade ducks team and then thursday will be locked on goals with a bit of prospects sprinkled in there so we're going to talk goals and talk wjc on thursday's broadcast and i want to thank everyone for listening And you could download today's podcast or any of the previous episodes on the Locked On Podcast Network via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or Stitcher. Also, please make sure to follow us on Twitter at LO underscore Ducks or follow me personally at StimpyJD. If you follow them, you're going to see hockey aplenty. And then you'll see some of the food I had over the weekend. You know, the penalty box, it's Tamu's quick serve restaurant. You know, I'll talk about that tomorrow too. I'll talk about Tamu's a new restaurant that he has. If you want to chat hockey with me, you can hit me up on Twitter at LO underscore ducks, or you can email me at locked on Anaheim ducks at gmail.com. And tell all your fans, tell all your ducks friends to subscribe, check out locked on ducks. And it's going to be a great year next year, 2020. There's going to be so much more to come for locked on ducks So stay locked in, all right? For Locked on Ducks, I'm Jason J.D. Hernandez saying have a great rest of the week. I'll see you at the rinks and stay cool, Anaheim. (laughs) 